Well, welcome again. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning, um, here in person or with us online. What a joy and privilege it is that we have to gather together to make much of good things, the good things of God's grace to us, and to know that he cares deeply about us and our lives. No one in this room is too insignificant for God. He cares so deeply about us, and we get to explore that together um, as we look into his word. If you have a Bible, please open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to be looking at uh, the armor of God, and we're going to look at one piece at a time for the next few weeks. As we do that, my hope is that what we grow at seeing is how sufficient Jesus is for us, that it would have a profound impact in our understanding of who we are in Christ, what we have in him. And why that means all the world to us in the way we live. This morning we're going to look at verses 13 and the beginning part of 14. But I'm going to read 13 each week just to kind of remind the context of what we're looking at. And then highlight then that particular piece of armor that will be our focus for that morning. And so this morning we're going to look at verse six, or chapter 6 verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's pray. As we come to your word, we pray that you would do a good work in us, that our hearts would be eagerly receptive to this, your word, that as we explore it, Together, that you would be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of your word to your glory and to our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I always wear a belt. I don't know if I need to always wear a belt, but I do. And anytime I take 10 steps without a belt on, I feel this immediate, um, uncomfortable vulnerability. Like something terrible is about to happen. I wonder what, uh, what disaster is ever encroaching. Maybe I'm just odd or peculiar or a creature of habit, but I believe in the belt. I really do. It plays a very important part in my wardrobe or my psyche, whichever one um, is most important in that moment. The belt plays a crucial role in our spiritual wardrobe also. It's the very first piece of equipment emphasized by the Apostle Paul. Its role is to enable us to not have that uncomfortable, vulnerable feeling debilitating our spiritual health. The belt readies us for the world full of schemes and gives us confidence to take those ten steps and more. We need the belt. Our hope this morning as we consider the belt is that we would find ourselves being equipped to ready our faith with truth. Uh, we are readying our faith with truth. And readying your faith with truth grasps some things about truth, about the belt of truth as Paul is Describing it. 
First, it describes the, or helps us grasp the role of truth in our lives. The role of truth. The urgency of truth. It's got this role, then it has this role with great urgency. There is urgency behind putting on or fastening on the belt of truth, if you will. And then that role and that urgency will show us how then the truth strengthens us. So it's the strengthening of the truth that takes shape in our lives. Let's look at that together. Let's think about that together. First of all, let's look at the role of truth. This verse, verse 14, begins with a serious call to arms due to the context of our lives in a fallen world with spiritual opposition. But it's also... A serious call to arms due to the value and the importance of the role of truth. The verse begins with the word stand. And that word stand, therefore, is more like a military battle cry. It's not a casual inference as it reads in the English. We have an example of this in the Old Testament. Standing at the edge of annihilation and the Red Sea, Moses cries out, in Exodus fourteen thirteen, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. He didn't say that casually. There are hordes of people all around. There is an, an, an encroaching, angry army bearing down on them. There's a, a sea standing, or sitting next to them. This is a moment of crying out, stand firm, see what God will do. Paul's words that start 614 carry with it the same sort of punch. Stand. The world around you is overwhelming. The heart within you is easily distracted and discouraged. And so he's calling us like a military battle cry. Stand. And then he says, stand putting on this belt. Or another way to put it, belt up. He cries out. The apostle cries out to the church. Belt up this day. The circumstances around you, the the very value of the very belt that you will put on, encouraging and dictate to Paul the urgency behind his call. But why a belt? Why a belt? The belt was the first piece of equipment to go on. The belt went underneath all other parts of armor and would hold all of the underclothing out of the way. The purpose of the belt was to enable the unencumbered readiness to move, to run, to fight. It provided the ability and the freedom to be adaptable in whatever situation, to have the agility to maneuver in a variety of circumstances. The belt allowed for such flexibility in life. And so here the apostle is saying, put on this belt. Ready yourself for all of the variety of circumstances you will find yourself in. And so he says, put on the belt. What kind of belt? Well, he describes it as the belt of truth. So what is this truth? What is this truth that will then ready us and give us great Freedom and agility to face any and all circumstances in our life. Well, 
This truth is, first of all, the very core, the very heart, the very foundation message of the Christian faith. That the very core of what we believe enables us to face the variety of schemes and circumstances in this world. Christianity unashamedly claims to be the truth. Absolutely. No matter our reception to it. And the unambiguous claims of who God is and what God does and who we are and what we are made for actually bring to us a great level of freedom, abilities, and agility for the circumstances of our lives. One scholar put it this way. But if there is a God who designed the whole cosmic and human story with a purpose, so that the chief end of man is to glorify this God and enjoy him forever, then what you believe about God becomes a matter of supreme and decisive importance. What you believe about God becomes a matter of supreme and decisive importance. That whatever the schemes and situations and circumstances we face in this world, they're going to change. A generation ago, they were different than what we're facing today, and the generations down the road from us are going to face new and unique situations. And our idea of truth can't be based on the circumstances and situations of the world around us since they're all always ever-changing. Our idea of truth needs to be fixed on the one who is eternal forever and gracious and good and sovereign and just. And so the truth of who God is, what God does, what that makes us and how that shapes us is the thing that readies us for an ever-changing world and all kinds of circumstances that we face within it. Truth is found in the core of our Christian faith. And the truth is experienced through salvation. This truth is experienced through salvation. We actually came across that already in this letter. In the opening chapter, in chapter 1, verse 13, we find this. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. When you heard the gospel, when you experienced it through faith in Christ, you experienced this truth. This truth came flooding into your life. You were radically rescued and being transformed and experiencing the truth through salvation. This truth is the core of our faith. It's experienced through salvation. And this means that our experience on truth is centered on, centered in, and centered through Jesus. Now, if we want a gateway into the full, ever-expanding growth and grasp of this truth and how it readies our faith for this overwhelming world and our own wandering hearts, we know it on and in and through Jesus. I mean, he said as much. Famously, familiar words. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. The role of truth is to ready our faith for knowing, loving, and following Jesus in all of the circumstances of life in this fallen world. Notice notice that. That the role of truth is so that you would know and love and follow Jesus. Not argue and debate the world around you. Not condemn the circumstances and situations that are falling all around you. The role of truth is actually to lead you to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. And in so doing, you're more ready to experience all of the things in this world, all of the situations and circumstances than you would be if you only focused on them. The role of truth is to ready our faith for knowing and loving and following Jesus. And that comes with a great deal of urgency. I mean, it's inherent into the call. Stand up! Stand firm! Belt up! As Paul starts off verse 14 with. There's an urgency of the truth that is also inherent to this call. And that is, there's a hard world around us and we have human hearts within us. Yeah, I have to break it to you. You have a human heart inside of you. (laughs) There's a hard world around us, and we have human hearts. Think about the human heart for a moment. Think about yours specifically. The heart wanders. It needs corralling. We can be easily distracted, easily discouraged, easily dissuaded. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Positively, the Proverbs tell us to keep our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The urgency to ready our faith with the truth is because our hearts can wander off the gospel route. If you remember last week, we talked about schemes, how the negatively schemes is used to divert us off the route. But positively, that word could be used to just simply describe the route, the way, the path, the journey. We have been rescued to this journey of going toward Jesus. And the world sets up schemes to divert us off of that. The urgency to ready our faith with the truth is because our hearts will be complicit with those schemes. They'll follow off. Ooh, look, a squirrel. Or they'll be so discouraged and debilitated. Beat down from a hard world. The world is schemed to divert our hearts from the truth. Satan hates the truth and will do anything he can to divert you from it. I mean, that's been his game plan from the jump. He's been nuancing the same scheme that he employed that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. When he said those words, did God actually say? Just a little grenade into our hearts. To blow up our attention, our affections, our focus 
And that scheme is still playing out to this day, especially in light of what is true. That scheme is operating in the world in a number of ways, but I think these three we should be attentive to. We live in a world that's going to be filled with contradictions. But first, it's going to say this. Nothing can be the truth. Nothing can be the truth. If the Christian message says it is the absolute truth, then the world's going to scheme in such a way to divert our attention by saying nothing can be that absolute. Nothing can be the truth. It rejects the idea of absolutes and makes everything relative. The world's scheme to say nothing can be the truth is always moving the goalposts. And it makes humanism the end-all, be-all. We get to dictate what is true, and as it shifts and moves and changes, we'll shift and move and change with it. That's a scheme that we live in. That's the world in which we live in. It says nothing can be the truth. And then, on the other side of its mouth, it will tell us this. Anything can be the truth. Anything can be the truth. And this requires an incredible level of tolerance and acceptance of anyone else's truth. So long as you don't offend me with it. You know... Paul's day in the Roman world had a very similar dynamic. Anything could be the truth as long as you incorporated Roman truth. As long as you you brought in the things that the Romans held tightly. They were the world power. They dominated. They overtook nations. And they said, you can keep being you, but you've got to add on to us. And the world we live in is very similar you can believe whatever you believe, but you've got to also believe this stuff too. And if you don't, then here comes the breadth and width of our intolerance. This sort of scheme is operating in the world. Nothing can be the truth. Anything can be the truth. There's a third one. In light of all of that, in light of the volatile cocktail that that produces... In light of the challenges that that produces, that in the midst of that, subversively, within a world that is bent with nothing can be the truth or anything can be the truth, what ends up happening for so many in the church is an apathy toward the truth. That the senses have been so numbed because the world is so full of these schemes that there just becomes this accidental apathy toward the truth. That waves and waves of distractions and discouragements deaden our senses to the role and urgency of truth. As one social commentator said in 1984, we are busy amusing ourselves to death. And here we find a sneaky, subversive apathy toward the truth. And so when Paul says, stand, belt up. He's saying in his world and into ours, this is urgent because the schemes set to divert you from it are always operational, always extroverted, 
always subversive. Always. And so our call to build up carries with it great urgency. That great urgency is also maximized by the fact that Jesus wore the belt. That Jesus wore the belt for us. That he fulfilled a promise that God made that he would come wearing the belt on our behalf. In Isaiah 11, we find a promise of one who would come, readied to fight for the people of God. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, speaking of this one who would come, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. One would come to do what we can do, to take on the schemes we could not defeat. Those schemes are so overwhelming to us that it is understandable how apathy could grip our hearts. It is understandable how that could happen. After wave of wave of wave, like the tide, it never stops. I get it. But one would come who could withstand all of that. That one would come and put on that belt. Jesus readied, took on Satan in our place. In Matthew chapter 4, he faced all the schemes and then some. Matthew 4, 1 through 4 says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. Readied with the belt of truth. Readied. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus wore the belt. Wore the belt in our place. Took on the schemes in our place. Defeated them. Overcame them in our place. And so as we put on that belt, we are putting on that which Christ has worn for us and is victorious with. And so the urgency to put on the belt isn't just that the world is overwhelming. It is. It's that Jesus did it for us. And now we have it in him. The circumstances of this hard world, the reality of our wandering hearts, shows how unrelenting the urgency for truth really is. But furthermore, Jesus entered into this hard world took on all the schemes and wore that belt of truth on our behalf. From that, we gain strength. We put it on to gain strength that we have in Christ. The strengthening of truth. Truth must be put on. You can't leave it hanging in your closet like your belt. It must be put on. It must be worn. How do we wear wear the belt? and, And how does it strengthen us? Well, We wear the belt by first delighting in the truth. We delight in the truth. We noted earlier Proverbs 4.23, which says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart is the central operating system for the life. What the heart is set on will show up in the life that is lived. Whatever your heart is fixated on 
It's going to show up in the manner of your living, in your speech, in your thoughts, in your affections, and in the things that you do and the, what, the values that you have. The affections of the heart, therefore, are powerful. They are always looking and longing for something worthy. I mean, that's partly how God made us and wired us with these hearts. We are made for worship. We're made to worship. We're made for worship. That's how God made us. And so our hearts are looking to worship something. Therefore, putting on the belt of truth is filling that looking and longing heart with the thing that can actually satisfy those longings. So delight in the truth. How we, we, we corral that wandering heart looking for something to worship. We tell ourselves the truth and we delight greatly in it. We put before our heart the things of God, the word of God, the truth of God. And as we do, we will find, just like in Psalm 19, it will rejoice the heart. Psalm 19 verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. The more we flood our heart with the things that are true of God, more our hearts will be revived to rejoice. So delight in the truth regularly. Read, study, think, pray, seek to understand the progression of the story of God unfold through the pages of Scripture. See how it leads to Jesus, the Word made flesh. Delight in the truth. As we delight in the truth, then declare it. How do we Gain strengthening from this belt. Well, we delight in it and we declare it. Again, we talk about that which delights our hearts. Whatever delights the heart is going to show up in the things that we want to talk about. We eagerly share about our experiences at a new restaurant or a great vacation or some sporting event. I mean, how many conversations were you a part of or overheard that involved the Celtics or the Bruins this week? It's playoff time. Our hearts are delighting in things. A little, little insecurities, I think, I heard. But the heart overflows with delight. And the mouth speaks of it. The mouth will speak of it. We want to talk about it. We want to talk about it with each other. We want to delight in the truth and then declare the truth. We want to declare it to each other in ways that are encouraging and strengthening for one another. We want to talk about it to those who don't seem to have any grasp of this truth. Who seem far off from delighting in it. We want to share with them the reason for hope that we have. We want to join the the psalmist of Psalm 145 verses 5 and 6. Who takes and captures and combines together the idea of delighting and declaring. Psalm 145, 5 and 6, On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. He's delighting. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Declaring is not far from delighting. 
declaring it to each other, declaring it to those who are far. Delight and to declare. And then thirdly, this strengthens us by displaying the life that is changed by truth. That our very lives that are delighting in and declaring truth are being changed by God. And that changing life is putting the goodness of this truth on display. Truth brings freedom. And living free of all the schemes of this world becomes a display case to God, of God's grace for sinners. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from the snares and traps of the schemes. Free to walk about a minefield, almost unbothered-like, walking through a park on a warm Sunny day. To know the security, the sufficiency of all that God has done for you in Christ and how it rescues you from all of the schemes and all of your own wandering hearts. What does this freedom look like? Well, it's peace, first of all. It's peace that settles spiritually anxious hearts. This freedom that truth brings and displays through our lives that are being changed is a Freedom that brings about peace. There's no more fear of missing out when you've received so much in Christ. This peace, this freedom also looks like purpose. That we are now equipped with purpose. A bigger than this world motivation shapes the way that we live out our lives. We're not bound to the schemes of this world. We've been rescued to something far greater. And so it gives us a purpose for something bigger. And this freedom looks like praise. Praise that rests and rejoice in a relationship with God. The God over all things. This sort of freedom, peace and purpose and praise. Strengthens us. Helps readies our faith for the world in which we live. In fact, delighting and declaring and displaying is how we go about wearing this very truth, this belt of truth. The process of delighting and declaring and displaying strengthens us and readies our faith with truth. Once again, scholar put it this way, the more we grasp the truth of Christ's righteousness in our place, the more this truth will strengthen us in turn. Against Satan's lies. The more we grasp. Who Christ is. And what he has done. And what he has given to us. The more that strengthens us. For all the schemes. That we face. And all the wanderings. Of our hearts. Now you might be wondering. What do I do next? What can I do? No matter. What you have been. Or have not been doing. With respect to this belt of truth. The call goes to all of us. Take up. Ready yourself. Come tomorrow morning. Put on your belt. For some of you, the call is to pick up where you left off. With delighting and declaring and displaying in mind. Pick up where you left off as you were thinking on and reading and studying God's word. For some in here, start something 
new or start something afresh. Pick up the Gospel of John. As you read through it, note how Jesus interacts with people in that Gospel account. Look at the variety of ways that Jesus tenderly deals with those who are in great need. Note how he cares very closely and very specifically to them. Take it up and read. Start. It's never too late. For others, maybe all of us in here in some fashion, connect with others and talk about what you read. Talk about what's on your mind as you read it. Share your thoughts around that. Get a text group going. Meet with others in a coffee shop. Go to your life group and be eager to tell them the things that you've been thinking about from God's word. But commit to declare with someone, at least someone outside of your home, at least once a week, just to talk about the things of, that you're delighting in and, and declaring and displaying in God's word. Start somewhere. And then pray. Pray that God would renew and transform you. That he would strengthen you with an ever-increasing desire to know him more through his word. So as to strengthen you for a world full of schemes. We can be strong and stand firm because of this belt of truth. The truth of all that God has done through the gospel keeps us sane in a dizzying world. And keeps us near with wandering hearts. So make it your aim to ready your faith with the belt of truth. Let's pray. God, we ask that you do just that in us. That you would help us to see the overwhelming treasure that we have in your word. That our hearts would be greatly motivated because of the worth and the value of what you've displayed to us through your word. To take up, put on this belt of truth. That it would be a genuine and true delight for our hearts. That it would rejoice our hearts. God, I pray that we'd be eager to declare it to each other in ways of encouragement and of hope. That it would be life-giving fellowship together as we delight together in your word. God, I pray that you would give us hearts for those in our lives that are far from your truth. Who have been snared by the schemes in this world. Who have hearts who have wandered far and into dark places. That we would be light givers in that dark place. Give us wisdom and understanding of how to navigate that. Give us compassion and confidence to speak. Give us opportunities, we pray. And God, would you display your grace, your transforming grace through our lives as we gain strength live in this world. We gain strength in delighting in you. We gain strength in declaring your truth. God, would you do that? We pray all to your glory and to our good. In Christ's name, amen.